to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Leanne on the board. S&P Futures up, up after last week. 64.75. So big move here this morning. And NASDAQ Futures up 200. So we're trying to bounce back from the uh, last week sort of debacle. Last, worst day and worst week in like a really long time. Like years and years and years. Uh, so we're trying to bounce back. We'll see if we do. We had our crypto hit under about 17,000 on Saturday, and it has bounced back. So everything's sort of bouncing back here. Do we? Speaking of bouncing, do we have Mr. Uh, Brennan with us? I'm good this morning, Keith. How are you? Good. How are you, bud? Good. Other than being a little hot, uh, uh, what do we got? We got to endure this for one day, and it's supposed to get a little better again. Is that the story? I was supposed to be hot like this for a couple of days. Well, we're over in Michigan, so it's close. To- we know it's going to be hot today and maybe tomorrow. Yeah, we had a gorgeous weekend, though. I don't know if it was... Uh... Yeah, it was gorgeous. So I guess we get to do that. Some, huh? of, some of my kids were over, and uh, my grandson, and we had a wonderful time down at the beach and the lake, and uh, and just enjoying the whole nature thing. So when you guys go to the beach, where do you have to you go to the, the small lake or you go to Lake Michigan? We have a small lake, part of our development. It's, uh, it's about a 100-acre lake, and uh, no power boats on it. It's just uh, like we can go... Uh, stand up paddleboarding, kayaking. Uh, there's a couple of small fishing boats that people canoe in and things like that. So it's it's nice. Well, that's a that's a good thing. I think uh, uh, a lot of people have been able to somewhat get away this summer. But the airlines, uh, if you're flying, not so good, eh? Not so good. And, uh, the more reports I read, they were totally unprepared for uh, a return to traveling. Um. I know uh, you're, you're, you're not as into this. I don't know. Someplace, somewhere, I think we need to do something to somebody. Printed one of these these big companies, and I'm not. The last thing you want to do is waste money and resources, which constantly like arresting people and putting them in jail and going after companies and things like that. But <laughs> didn't didn't we just give these people like zillions of dollars to pay people oh, yeah. while while they so that this wouldn't happen? What they do, make everybody yeah, retire and lay them off? The whole idea was the airline industry was too big to fail. <coughs> you didn't want them to go into, um, in the bankruptcy and go out of business, so you gave them a lot of money at the pandemic crisis to get through the prices. And um, they laid off a lot of pilots, they laid off a lot of staff, <coughs> not anticipating <coughs> when the turnaround was going to happen or be prepared for it. And now they're, they're caught shorthanded. I don't know that they... Didn't anticipate. I don't think. I just think they didn't care. They saved their own paychecks and made a lot of money during the during the pandemic. When when, when you know I, the idea that after the pandemic for two years, airlines fighting to buy another airline and they have the money to do it, and yet there's not enough money for pilots. There's something wrong here. <laughs> something like really wrong. I I can't put my finger well, on it, but I something's wrong. There is something wrong, and you know what I think that um, when you look at the at the idea of trying. Uh, poor mouth, and yet going out and buying things and merging and buying assets or buying back stock, that's inconceivable to me, that there's there's an inconsistency there in what they're 
what the true plans are. So that I think is, is true, and then the same thing is true with corporations when when they get um, uh, government bailouts and use that to, to buy their own stock back and still let go of employees, and then when the turnaround happens, that they're they're not able to uh, to get back to business to serve the public. Um, that's wrong, and you know there there should be I agree with you that there should be penalties for that kind of behavior. What 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 can you do? How, what's what's the crime other than other than I guess embezzlement, stealing? But it, there, there's no. I mean, you're you're the attorney. What's the crime? What do you charge anybody with? I mean, the the law itself was written so horribly, it didn't really pin people's feet to the fire on anything, really. Uh, well, remember, law, laws are written for a purpose, and that, and that's why there's often an argument that uh, what I did may seem bad, but it's legal. And when you have people who draft the law for one purpose, there are always unintended consequences. And, and bad facts make bad laws. So when you're looking at, uh, at the whole fact situation, if the, if the laws are written for one purpose, and yet somebody exploits that in a way that is, is within the rules of, of how the wording is in the law, then they can say, well, yes, it's legal, even though that was never the intent. Uh, that's why oftentimes when a law is challenged, you go back to the, the hearings and see what was discussed by the people who wrote the law and uh, discuss it in open sessions, if there are open sessions. Uh, and, and the recordings are, are made of who said what to really understand the purpose of the law. Now, sometimes that cannot be admissible in court because the law, the final law, the word in the law, is what the judges go by when they're interpreting it. But it's clear sometimes that, that there are uh, examples where uh, the intent of the law was clearly violated and it's only because of lobbying efforts or because of somebody in particular who uh, was able to get a law passed that the law is written the way it is that allows for uh, people to abuse the law. Well, I guess uh, you and I are like, uh, you know, what are we, Jerome Holzman in the wake of the news. What makes you think, and this is where, where you and I have, have clashed a little bit, what makes you think it wasn't the intent of the law? I mean, we, you and I would think it wouldn't have been. What makes, mm-hmm. you think, what makes you think it wasn't the intent of the law to just to, to save all the higher ups in the airlines and all those people, and nobody really cared about the pilots? Oh no, I, I agree that it, it could very well be that the people who drafted the law were carving out exceptions or making it making the language so vague that uh, loopholes were easily exploited. That happens all the time, and then their argument would be that uh, that uh, it. it it really wasn't the intent of the law, but it is permissible. And, you know, sometimes they'll say that for emergency circumstances, agency circumstances, the law should be interpreted differently. And even though it wasn't our intent to do it this way, it's permissible. Well, I'll give you an example. We had, uh, obviously, we were affected at, at PTI um, for the two years. <laughs> it wasn't just COVID. It was the, the Chicago situation, which the bridge is up and, couldn't get to work. The only way I could get to the show was I was sneaky enough to know that the one bridge that was down, Brandon, I don't know if you knew this or not, was one by the post office because they had to keep that one mm-hmm. down or else you couldn't get any mail, right? So I was able to go right. over there in a couple of mornings. I had to go through the National Guard check thing and so forth. And uh, we were we were clearly affected. I mean, we didn't, we didn't see a customer in the office for two years. I mean, it was, uh, mm-hmm. and, but we were always here. You know, we, we always managed to find, I was here early. My brother somehow managed to get in here in Rock Island. And uh, 
so we never were not able to do business for our clients. Um, even the days after the riots, you know, when the building was all boarded up, they let us come in through the freight elevator, and we're the only people in the place. So, but when when the law was written regarding the Employee Retention Act, and like I said, it, it affected us, you know, not in our day to day work so much and, and taking care of clients, but hey, you have you have clients that die, <laughs> you need new ones, and we couldn't meet one for two years. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's pretty tough. And when you're a small firm, you've got to meet people. You can't; they're not just gonna. Hey, heard you on the air. Here's a million bucks. I mean, you, you got to meet people, right? And uh, right. And uh, so to say we weren't affected, it would be insanity. And yet, mm-hmm. yet the firms that uh, we, we but we're considered to be uh, an essential business, brokerage firms, banks, people like that, hardware stores, we're considered essential businesses. When the raw law was written on the Employee Retention Act, and a little bit of the PPP, although I think that was written a little differently, the Employee Retention Act was. We had a we had a serious uh, revenue. Um, what, do you, what do you call it? governor on it? Where if if you had a a firm like ours, if your revenue is not down t- over twenty percent, you didn't qualify. Well, hell, Brendan, the 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 the, the margin in our business is nowhere near twenty percent. So if your revenue is down twenty percent, you're having a rough year. Yeah. And uh, so whoever wrote that, yeah, get a load of this. Non-essential businesses, if they were closed at all, even partially closed, had no revenue uh, test at all. So the upshot of that is, if we owned a, if we owned a restaurant <coughs> and uh, it had um, a, say they closed our five-stool bar that we had just sitting there for people to sit down, yet where our, our sales were up uh, double because of carry-out pizzas or something. We, we still qualify. <clears throat> and, and it's in a non-essential business. Yet in an essential business, if your revenue wasn't down 20%, like the poor people over here at Lakeside Bank, they have, they always had some person, they always had somebody in a, in a, in a cubicle to take care of you, Fanny or somebody, the terrific people over there. And they always had one or two people at the, you know, at the counter, even though the place was boarded up, so they could do their business. You can't tell me their revenue wasn't down. You know, I bet it wasn't down twenty percent <clears throat> because yeah. no, I mean, yet if there was a restaurant in the building, running out with sandwiches and doubling their stuff, but they had one booth they couldn't use, they're partially shut down. So I, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't believe that whoever wrote that law wasn't a restaurant lobbyist. I mean, it's actually it was like it was written for restaurants, and yet other people were affected. And that that's an example of what happens all the time, and that. One of the reasons why lobbyists is that um, a lucrative business for those who have the political context who can get laws changed or reworded or introduced to satisfy their clients. You're, you're right on point. The laws are written in ways to benefit certain people, certain and and to uh, disengage others. But an essential business, you would think if you were a fourth grader, that if anybody was going to get a break better than the other guy, not anybody should, I don't think, the essential business should get the break over the non-essential. So if you mm-hmm. got some hardware store that you want to stay open because people need it, boy, I can't I can't imagine a 20% revenue test on a hardware store that has a lease and everything else. How the hell does that guy stay open if he's down 19%? Yeah, yeah when, you look at, when you look at the margin, uh, the profit margin of some businesses, 
We're nowhere near 20%. So that if you, uh, I, I understand your point, and I agree with you completely. If you're looking at a 20% loss in revenue, their doors are shuttered and will never open up again because they're probably in bankruptcy if they still have obligations that they won't be able to meet. Yeah, you, you wonder, I mean, I just, as I've, get, as I've gotten older and grumpier, and I think all this stuff is intentional. Somebody's behind all of it. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's intentional. I think I think there are a lot of people who try to do things too quickly. Like when the pandemic hit, I think there's a lot of movement to try to do something to keep business open because the shutdown happened so quickly and lasted so long. And remember, back in March of 2020, we were talking about a two-week shutdown. I remember. We came back from a trip in Arizona uh, the day before everything shut down in Chicago, before they shut down the St. Patrick's Day Parade, all the festivities in early March, in mid-March. And th- at that time, they said, uh, we're doing this for two weeks because in two weeks we expect the virus urgency will have passed. And then two weeks became a month, became two years. And so I think it was a, <clears throat> a big movement to do something because of how draconian the, the shutdown was and how many people were affected. And I do think that there were some people who, in trying to do something, did not think through all the implications of the laws that they were enacting. And it led to a lot of discrepancy and a lot of uh, bad implementation of the laws. Well, it really was, um, and, and you know, you've been on the show long enough, I mean, I say this every day, the, the, hard, the worst thing about inflation is the fact that it's uneven. I mean, you, you know, mm-hmm. there, there were there were people who was the I was going to say something nasty, and I'm glad I didn't. The uh, the lady who wrote the uh, book on the new monetary policy. She, of course, she's on Biden's Council of Economic Advisors, which to me is is an, an absolute abortion. But that's another story. Uh, about how it just doesn't matter. It's sort of money out there. We haven't had any problem with it over the last twenty years. So what's the problem? And I think there were people lobbying for. For just helicopter money, it, it really was just helicopter money. They just, they just wanted it out there. So if you were to say that, uh, you know, Brendan owns the, uh, the the trash pickup service for Naperville or someplace, and mm-hmm. guess what? They're, you're not going to miss a day, you're not going to miss a week, you're not going to miss a check. You're still tri- picking up the trash every day and paying your people. That somehow you would get this massive check to pay all your people and basically pocket the dough. They they would have mm-hmm. said they would have said really on the economic side of it so what it has to go somewhere might as well go to Brenda. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, a lot of it was well, that makes ju- perfect sense. I, I think if there is things like that, it should go to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I get I, I get that. <laughs> but I'm saying they, there was no there was no carve out that said wait a minute if you, if your revenue is not down at all what are we doing here you know or whether if mm-hmm. you got a if you got a government contract that's still good why are we why are we but the point I think some economists would say what's the difference just let it go. Because if we don't give it to them, we got to give it to somewhere else. Because we got to get this amount of money out there. Was it was there? That's right. If if, if we can't do that, we're going to open up a helicopter. I almost said state in Madison, but that's not the middle of town anymore. I guess you go to the west side. Huh? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, but that's essentially what helicopter money means. Just let it out there. What difference it make who gets it? Because we need it in the system. That's right. <clears throat> and yeah, and it's, it's the idea that we're doing something which appears better than doing nothing, and if it takes time to think through the ramifications of the legislation and how to distribute money and how to put enough checks and balances to make sure that people are not standing or embezzling the money and able to get away with it, then at least we, we can say that we're not sitting back and letting the crisis get worse. Well, you know, it's it's interesting when you uh, compare, and, and this is not 
Everybody thinks all this stuff, especially your new monitor, is brand new. They think this stuff is all brand new. And, and nothing regarding monetary policy is new. We go back to the history of the Romans and how they, they started taking the silver out of the coin. It's, 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 all, it's all been tried before. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a fetish. You can't invent one, right? Somebody's already done it before, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but, uh, some people, I'm sure, are still trying, but, uh, but you can't. There, there's no game here. And, and the, the funny part is during the Civil War, and I would think that most people would agree. I mean, you always get somebody to disagree. Most people would agree that the Civil War was a bigger calamity for the North than the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to tweet and say, you're nuts. This was worse. The, they, they only increased the money supply per year during the Civil War like 10 or 12 percent. And we mm-hmm. did, we did 22 percent. Does anybody really think that the COVID crisis was, was twice as as, as much of a crisis as the Civil War? Uh, I think you're going to get a lot of people who say that it will. And the reason for that is that um, we as humans have short term memory, and I'm pretty sure that we're not going to be able to find anybody who was essentially an adult in the Civil War who's still around now to tell us how bad it was. Just like there are very few people who remind us what it was really like going through the Depression. And, you know, the old saying that this isn't the hardest thing that's ever happened, but it's the hardest thing that's happened in a long time. We, we don't know how to compare different ages. You know, it's like comparing baseball players. Was, uh, was Billy Mays better than Mike Trout, uh, for example? Well, who remembers, how many people remember Billy Mays? I, I knew a little bit. You knew a little bit. Now. Don't, don't, hey, wait a minute. Well, don't make yourself too young here. You remember him. <laughs> You're right. <clears throat> Did you ever, right. but you ever I see a play? I remember seeing Willie Mays in 1954 uh, at his prime right. compared to Mike Trevor. I do remember the old Willie Mays, which, again, changed my view. Yeah. Seeing Willie Mays in 1965, 1967 is not seeing the same Willie Mays in 1953 or 54, and comparing the 67 Mays to the uh, 2020 Mike Trout, for example. You know, it's an unfair comparison. But my point is that the longer we get away from what it is that we're comparing, the easier it is to, to forget and think that what we're going through now is the worst because we are experiencing it right now in real time and going through it or in recent memory. So it seems like it's a lot worse. But if, you, if anybody... Uh, I think of it is, though, Brent. I mean, Civil War, yeah, I, I, you know, you got to really... But uh, the Depression, I mean, you and I, are, are our parents, and certainly our grandparents could tell you about it. I mean, and it was, we started talking about, you know, a 12% unemployment rate as being horrendous. And what was it during the Depression, 35? I mean, you could only... It was 35, yeah, 33, 35%. Plus, most of the the, the, uh, the country was, I'm going to say, half agrarian. So you don't count those people. So it mm-hmm. really was probably more in the cities. Did you ever see pictures of... Uh, People living in, in like the Italian section of uh, of uh, New York during the Depression. Now they'd have a basement, and there'd be like fifteen kids sleeping in one room. They had no parents. Right. And it was it was it was light years different than. I mean, I, I don't think anybody could even conceive of that today. Mm-hmm. I can't. I mean, I You're can't. Right. You're right. So when we're comparing when we're comparing calamities, it's hard to co- to look at cross generational comparisons. And I do think that there are times in our country where we have gone through worse than we're going through now, both financially and uh, in societally. 
Uh, we just don't know better. This is the worst it's ever been because this is the worst that we've experienced, and it's the worst we've experienced in a long time. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly. I mean, think, think about it. Well, it, you and I both remember what the inflation rate and what the interest rates were like back in the, in the Carter administration, in the late 70s, early 80s. I'm going to say, living through both of them, Brendan, not one of those years was as bad as this year. Not one, in terms of the real numbers. I think it got to like 12, 12 and a half. I think last year here was 16 or more. And they're not even counting the, uh, the housing yet, which is bizarre. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, I think the, somehow or another the people in, in, in power, uh, there, there was a, there was a, I don't know, how can I say this? I think there was a big difference. Even people like Tricky Dick and, uh, I mean, when he knew he was wrong, the guy resigned. You know, there was never anything in the man's background that said the guy was a crook. You know, he never had children that were overseas making dough. He didn't. He, he didn't have bankruptcies in his background where he stole dough, dough from everybody and owed money to everybody. It was a whole different program between like him and Jerry Ford. Who I don't think anybody ever had any. Anybody ever think the guy ever stole a dime? I mean, the guy had a pride. Right. I mean, John Kennedy. They had money. They didn't have to steal it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so there was a. I, th- I, I don't think any of those people, and I could be way out on a limb here, ever had the balls basically to say, you guys screw with the CPI numbers to make me look good. Mm-hmm. And yet, yet now people don't have a, they don't hesitate to ask that, I don't think. Or else the people in, in the bureaucracy just do it because they, the wind, the wind is blowing from Vichy and they got their finger up in the air. I mean, I, <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's, you know what, when I was at the, uh, CBOE on the board and I was a market maker and all that stuff, if if all of a sudden there was a tone change in the policy of the people at the top, and, and these were good people, they weren't they weren't bad people. Duke and Duke Chabot, Chuck Henry was the salt of the earth. The guy president of the place. They were good people. Bill Flourish was a vice chairman. I mean, he, my friend to this day. I mean, these were good people. And yet, if there was a policy change where all of a sudden we, we weren't supposed to go after big firms or something, if that just was kind of a, a little bit of a policy change, it, it blew through the place like the winds from Vichy in Casablanca. You, know, you could put your finger up in the air, lick your finger, put it up there. You could, you could feel the wind change, and everybody, yep. everybody just behaved differently and picked up on it. And he didn't even have to tell them, even though mm-hmm. this was minor stuff. Yet, I mean, it, I don't think it takes too much in Washington to say we're not going to give this guy a twenty percent inflation number six months before the election. We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, we've had we've had many Buku guests on the show, and I said, okay. Last week we had the CPI number a week before, and we came out with uh, Case Schiller says it's twenty one percent housing year after year, and oh by the way the mortgage rates are up forty percent in the last six months, and they come out with a piece of paper that says uh, housing uh, ho- your cost for housing is up five percent in the last year. Now my question is where along the pecking order, Brandon? You, you might be the only one who can possibly answer this. Who? Who who changes that number or who says that number is good? I and mean, it's not the president. It's not the lowly surf who's put the CPI together is trying to do a good job. Where along the chain does somebody say we're we're, we're saying five percent instead of twenty five? I can't pinpoint where it is, <coughs> but I do think that there are people at at all levels of government. I but I also think that it's true in the private sector, too. I think in uh, in the corporate world, there are people who are analogous to this who change the numbers for sh- 
shade the numbers in a way to make the make them look better or worse, depending on the circumstance. But someplace there is somebody, and and you know your point is that uh, you want to be unable from the, from the government standpoint and from the corporation standpoint. You don't want to know who that person is because that has accountability and somebody who can be charged or uh, or you know, criminally found liable for something. So you don't want to have the guy, you don't want to be the guy holding the smoking gun in the room when uh, when you go back and check this. So it is subtle, and I think that there's somebody probably at the staff level, and when you're talking about the federal government, there's somebody at the staff level who may have been in the room with, with the highest levels of government officials who say, this looks really bad, is there another way to look at this? And that question alone will have some people putting their thinking caps on and saying, well, we can look at it and justify it this way. And, uh, and then lower the numbers, lower the inflation numbers, lower the, the cost of the uh, living index. So, I mean, there are ways uh, that people interpret what's being said. Well, Brennan, you take care of yourself this week, buddy. I enjoyed a, well, hang with the heat today. Enjoy the rest of the week. The rest of the week's supposed to be better. SP futures are now up 64. NASDAQ futures up 197. We're trying to seriously bounce back from last week. Let's hope we do. Be right back. Stocks and Jackson. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. 
You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Bay Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Eliani on the board. SP futures up 62.50. As that futures up 191. I've got a sea of green on my machine today, which is a unusual look from last week. Uh, Dow futures up 443. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 100, that's 0.7%. Puts you up 53.7%. Back around a little more, though, up 70, which is 1.2%. So they're leading the, leading the league over there. Asia had the Nikkei up 475, that's 1.8%. Uh, Shanghai down 8, uh, 0.3%. Hang Seng up 395, 1.9%. Uh, 21,559 is a whole number there. Again, they were over 29,000 a year ago, but they're trying to make a, make a move back today. On Friday, Kind of an inside day. Dow was down 38, S&P up 8, NASDAQ up 152. So the NASDAQ was actually a nice day Friday, but the week was not good. Uh, bonds were up four, five basis points, 3.29. The Bund up 11 basis points, 1.78. Japan up, you know, wow, up 20 basis points, 0.43. You have to ask Joel what's, what's causing that. That's, that's a big move. They must have actually, uh, uh, made a made a move on the treasury stuff over there. Uh, oil up a dollar seventy one one oh nine seventy. Brent up one oh one one fifteen fourteen. Natural gas down twenty nine cents to six sixty four. An incredible drop from the nine twenty of like two weeks ago. Our Bob up twelve cents, but still three ninety two. It was up to four four plus uh, last week, and it didn't come down at all at the pump in Chicago, at least that I saw. Uh, gold down five bucks eighteen thirty five. Silver up three cents twenty one sixty two. Copper up two cents, four oh three. As the metal markets remain very quiet, considering the inflation numbers. Crypto, uh, Bitcoin up a thousand to twenty one thousand, oh six seven. It traded down to like seventeen thousand on Saturday, and it's bounced back pretty good. Ethereum up forty four bucks, eleven forty seven. But uh, it's trying to make a stand here at this twenty thousand number. We'll see if it does. What do you got for us, traffic weather sports? Thanks so much, Chief. Good morning, everyone. Currently June twenty first, six thirty five a.m. Let's start with baseball. Uh, Cubs had a massive loss to the Pirates last night, 12 to 1. White Sox beat the Blue Jays last night, 8 to 7. And Diamondbacks lost to the Padres last night, 4 to 1. Looking at weather in Chicago this morning, we have another heat advisory, currently 74 degrees, sunny with a high of 100 and a low of 70 tonight. Looking at weather in Phoenix, currently clear skies, 78 with a high of 107 and a low of 78. So please be mindful of the sun that day as well. Uh, today as well, rather. Uh, looking at traffic in Chicago, we have intermittent traffic eastbound on 290 between St. Charles Road and, and Harlem with a backup on uh, 88 eastbound from Midwest Road to the uh, 290 east ramp. And then traffic picks up again on 290 between California all the way to downtown, approaching the 290 and 94 construction intersect. 
We have traffic northbound on 294 between West 127th and the 55 North ramp with an accident at the Route 12, Route 20 exit ramp. We have traffic eastbound on I-90 between the 294 South Tri-State ramp and Lawrence. We have traffic eastbound on 94 between North Racine and Canalport. Traffic westbound 94 between 59th and West Ontario. And finally, traffic northbound on 55 between Route 171 and South Damon. Back to you, Chief. Do we have Mr. Joel? You sure do, Chief. How you doing? How you doing, Chief? I'm pretty good. How are you? for you today? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know what? I, uh, it was such a nice weekend. Saturday had every the nicest day I've, I've in, in years. It was like 71, no humidity, no, not a cloud. It was about as nice as it gets for me. So I, I could handle one bad day. During the week, you know, I'll trade a bad day during the week for a beautiful day on Saturday anytime. Anytime, anytime. Well, how you like the, uh, how you like the rally? The, uh, Juneteenth rally started Sunday night. Continuing now, have we have we seen a short term bottom here, Chief, or is this just another another dead cap bounce? Is what your viewers want to know? Uh, I'm thinking that uh, we're 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 somehow or other we're following the uh, the Bitcoin here a little bit. Is it is it bottomed out on Saturday? What seventeen something? And has bounced, and uh, I think that thing is actually becoming important to the market. They're they're, they're trading together and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, you know my feelings on on the Bitcoin, and uh, and I don't know who's trying to prop it up. But I, I will tell you this: I think there's there's real problems if it goes under. I think you can find some people with some real debt. Well, you know why? You know why it uh, it turned around. I do not feel, feel me in. A tweet. Come on, chief. A tweet. A tweet by Elon Musk, and uh, I didn't see it as low as seventeen k. Uh, but I did see it around 18k over the long weekend, and uh, he just said that um, you know that it, it, he likes Bitcoin here. So uh, influencing the market, influencing Twitter, influencing cryptocurrencies. But uh, just buyer beware. Uh, he liked it at 55k or 60k. So um, you know, do do what you want with it. Well, I would just I just like to see the same group of Finra people. Or in, in regulators of all kinds, SEC, not just the Finra people. I want to see them treat him the same they treat everybody else. I mean, he's manipulating the hell out of this Twitter. The guy, the guy's never, he's, he's not going to pay $54 for the stock, and he's telling them how many people they should lay off. I mean, what, what is, this is, this is a bizarre world to me. What is he doing? And now, now he's, now he owns, he owns Bitcoin, so now he's, now he's, he's going to, of course, that people have been influenced to Bitcoin. Have you ever seen, well, you and I weren't alive then, this has to be a 1927 pump and dump. Everybody who buys the damn thing runs on CNBC and tells everybody else who will buy it. If you did it with stock, yeah. you'd be in jail. Right? <laughs> yes. And uh, it's in a, uh, it was supposed to be an inflation hedge. Um, now, well, we got inflation. That's not a hedge. Uh People are not supposed to hold them. They're not supposed to, you know, hold on for dear life. They're not supposed to sell. Well, we see what happened with that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, it, you know, just, you know, dealing with credit cards, dealing with your money, dealing with your finances, it seems that, yeah, there is, there should be some kind of digital currency, right? It, it may, I mean, isn't, you know, putting your uh, Visa in MasterCard, isn't that a form of a digital currency, right? You're not using cash, so you know there 
there is some kind of use there will be um, in the future, uh, whether it's Bitcoin, which has got the biggest head start on things, maybe, but I don't know. It's just like all these other ones, uh, all these other currencies. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be room for those as, as well. But um, when I can go to the gas station or I can go somewhere and easily have my, my Bitcoin card, and, uh, you know, I have a Bitcoin account. And if I'm, when I can contract, you know, I conduct a transaction in Bitcoin, then, you know, then it's, then it is a digital currency. Uh, right now, it's, it's fictitious in my opinion. So, it's an art to me. It's a, disagree with that, get a lot of hate from that, but you gotta be able to transact in something well, in order you know, to call it a, a digital currency. Well, you know, sometimes. Easily, easily transact in it. You know, there's no difference between a stack that was never worth anything in 2000 going down to zero like they did in Bitcoin, at least with the tulips, you got a tulip. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I know an awful lot of people that are involved in this. I know people who have gotten themselves paid in this stuff. And you also know, Joel, I never want to see anybody lose a dime. Yet, nope. Yet this is an absolute artificial stock. It, it's not a currency at all because the a currency does not go up and down like that you want the currency to be steady right in relation to other things you know you know what you don't want uh one one day your currency being worth uh 50 gallons of gas and the next day worth 25 well, I mean, look at that no you know look no, at the no, look no. at the look at the wailing and gnashing of teeth we have with our own currency inflating 10 or 11 percent or 15 percent in a year this thing inflated from what five thousand to sixty thousand, it became it became an artificial investment. It, it, it no longer was a currency. If it ever was a currency, it never was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, it, 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 it caught a bounce, right? I mean, you can trade it technically. You know, we, you and I, could be on here for six more hours to try and figure out the fundamentals, and and that's not going to happen. Well, I mean, the, but, the, the uh, question is, I'm much. Know, the other thing too. The other thing too, and this is, uh, you know, really like a kicker, is not being able to get into your account to trade it. You know, going to a brokerage firm. I mean, as much as you don't want to look at your investments and your money going, you know, on bad days, at least you can log in and see how much money you lost. A lot of times, you know, the uh, Southie Exchange. You know, shut down, no transactions. I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean, I've heard rumors that people have gotten their Bitcoin hacked pretty dramatically. I mean, the idea that that uh, if you forget your password or something, that that nobody steals it, it doesn't have to go to the treasurer. I'm sure in Michigan, uh, if there's a if you lose an account at a bank, it goes to the treasurer someplace in your name, right? You, you don't. Right. The bank just doesn't get to take it. You, and these people are telling me that nobody takes it here. I'm not that naive. That, no, that, that, no, that nobody's behind the curtain at this place. Uh, uh, they, you know, it started at a time. It started a while ago, right? And then you know you had uh, you know the circumstances of the last couple of years. Uh, you know, with the meme stocks and with COVID, and yeah. it's a, a different environment. And it just it, it hit at the right time. It had started at the right time. It gained popularity at the right time, and and, you know, I mean, I think I think it's good. I mean, I heard you say you know Bitcoin's bouncing. That's good for the market. I I think Bitcoin being down is you know and staying down is good for the market because I think people will take their money eventually take their money out of uh, 
Bitcoin and, and put it into uh, other assets. So well, but I mean, I say that I, they're tracking together lately, pretty closely. Um. Well, I mean, they they have tri- yeah. The market is sold off. It, it's yeah. definitely it's definitely not a it's definitely not an inflation hedge. We know that. Not sure what it is, but we know what it's not. Well, what do you uh, what do you make of uh, College World Series? They got some good teams there, but the best teams aren't in there. You know, Chief, I have to say I've kind of been out of it uh, in the sports world over the last few days. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my mother-in-law passed away. Oh, really? I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, yeah, so it's been um, been a lot of family time, um, yeah. just kind of getting back to the markets and. In sports today, so uh, well, she's been on your wife has been really, on the air. She's not she's not just your wife. She's been on the air. She's a a guest of the show and uh, close to us. Yes. So I, I feel bad for her and you. Yeah, and I, I just thought you know not uh, you know not uh, you know say a uh, uh, you know uh, uh, you know uh, a, sad, a sad tale, but uh, my mother in law was a Holocaust survivor. Wow! And uh, as a as a child. Um, Hit out in different embassies during the war. Um, you know, just you, you look at the view of everything that's happening in the world right now and everything. And that period was a long time ago. It's uh, a big. We lost a. I lost a mother-in-law. We lost a, a, a big part of history too. Oh, God, so, God. Um, but you guys don't want to hear me talk about that. You want to hear stocks and jocks. So, all right, take I'm care of yourself. And, uh, thanks for having me, Chief. You give your wife our best. SB Futures up okay. 62, NASDAQ Futures up 189. Back, Mr. Kenny Polkieri. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control.
Stockton Jackson. I'm Tom Allen. She's Ariel on the board. SP Futures up 60. Nasdaq Futures up 184. Uh, we've got uh, market uh, Dow Futures are up, uh, let's see, they're up uh, 459. So we're pretty much up everywhere around the world. We did a horrendous week last week. Um, but the worst week in like, you know, m- many, many years. So it's, uh, I think we need to bounce back here some. Well, that's what we want to just constantly drain it down, down, down. It's, and it was, uh, it was, fairly orderly there really wasn't any crash and um and it's really done a few things with uh actually a couple of products we were just uh <laughs> i was just railing on the on the bitcoin is not helping anybody uh, which it didn't and another thing that really didn't help uh people is uh is the uh um is the, is the issue with the, the vix and i just talked to somebody the other day in the uh uh, it was, it has some people that trade the VIX. The VIX is up to 30. But we, for a long time, and I, and I think if you listen to the show, uh, you know, I, I was a trader in the OEX for like a real long time, so I kind of know some of this stuff. I mean, I, I'm no, not the VIX expert that the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that the volatility races up when, when things go down. Well, we had some situations like, uh, you know, obviously the crash of 87 and other ones where whenever we started to go down, your VIX would shoot up and your, and the VIX number got to be, got to be thought of as a hedge for the downside. Um, which, um, it really was never intended to be. I mean, it, it just so happened that in some of the long-term capital things and a lot of these other places, you'd have a VIX spike to 35 or 40. So you could put, and we we talked last year about some you know hundred thousand now hundred thousand contracts or sixty thousand contracts uh, being done in a VIX spread because somebody thought there was going to be a, a crash like last November which never materialized. But I think the, the spread was like the forty seventy or something in the VIX. Well, what we've seen is you know you can't, and I think we mentioned on the show Mike would talk about it and uh, and Joel too. Uh, we would say look that doesn't have to happen. I mean if the if the this whole sell-off, this really is a big 20-30% move, depending on what index you're talking about, has, had, has seen some elevated volatility, and we're talking about, you know, 1% and 2% moves, sometimes a 3% move, that is very unusual, and we've talked about that, obviously, but it, it's unusual in the sense that uh, uh, you don't see that very often. We went, really, two, two and a half years, was it that long, in the Obama administration, not that that had anything to do with it, uh, where we didn't have really a 1% move in a day. I mean, it, the market was just very, very slow. Now all of a sudden, uh, we're seeing 1 and 2 and 3% move. I mean, t- today is a 1.5% move. It's just, just a Monday morning, right? And, uh, or Tuesday morning, sorry. But the issue comes down to we never had that spike where we were down 7, 8% to where people absolutely panicked toward the puts. Now the puts are high, but the VIX never, never made the spike to 50 or 60, or at least hasn't yet. And, uh, and it doesn't look, so the people who use that as their downside hedge, uh, didn't do so hot. I mean, you made a little bit, but not, not very much. Um, it, it never went to the 50, 60, so 
I mean, if you if you wanted a downside hedge, you actually had to be in the stocks that are down. And I have uh, I have some people who uh, do strategies, and, and this is you know this is a legitimate strategy. I mean, it's I'm not saying it's the best, and it doesn't correlate. But we have people that had, especially in the QQQ, that had a lot of the uh, uh, the real high end stocks. When I say the high end, the ones that have taken us, you know, taken us to the promised land here. You had you had Facebook, you got Google, you got Apple, you got those things, and Microsoft. Well, in the last year, if you would have bought puts in the Qs uh, and saying, okay, my stocks are really they're they're the five stocks that are Netflix too. That if the, my stocks are the ones that are, uh, the good ones. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to buy not puts in the individual stocks for protection. I'm going to buy puts in the queues. And for a, probably a period of a decade, I'm going to say that would, that would have worked fine because in fact, your stocks went up. And even if the queues, the queues themselves, the NASDAQ index went down some, your stocks didn't go down as much. And really a couple of them probably went up. That's just this the way it was for a decade. Well, now all of a sudden, if you had your Facebook and your Netflix are down way more percentage wise than you ever made on those puts, so you just you just have to be in my and my the only investment advice I've ever given on the show, or at least to my knowledge, I hope people didn't take others. The only investment advice I, I've ever given is when when you do something, you really need to sort of match it up. You can't just say I have ten really good stacks. They're better than everybody else's. And by the way, so I'll buy broad-based puts and I'll and I'll cover myself. Well, you know, maybe you can for a while, but there's going to come a day that you don't. And uh, the story I always tell about that was uh, in the first Gulf War, um, uh, we had uh, you know we had some extra money, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> it's always good to have a little bit. We did back then, and uh, so Dr. J and I were saying, well, "What should we do with this?" And the war starts, and for whatever reason, the volatility, the implied volatility in some of the indices were higher than the individual stocks, which is very, very rare. Because uh, obviously one stock can move a lot more than usually an index. Uh, so you know, there's that operative word there usually. So we put on, the X, there was a uh, something called the XMI, I don't even know if it exists anymore, it was an Amex index, which is the top 20 stocks on the Amex. I've probably told the story before. The uh, so the um, we put the uh, a backspread on. For those who don't know what that is, a ratio of backspread. If volatility is cheap, and you you think the volatility should be, um, say, a twenty in, in X Y Z, and all of a sudden it's fifteen, you're going to say it's too cheap. That the stack has a better chance of moving than that fifteen where it's trading. The implied volatility would lead you to believe. So what you're going to do is you're going to buy something. You can do a ratio spread to where movement helps you and time decay hurts you. But you're saying these these calls and puts are cheap enough that where I, I think I can get away with a while by being long and the thing just might move. So let's say, for instance, XYZ is trading at 100. Well, if you buy the 100 calls or puts, they're probably a 50 delta. So you don't you want to be neutral on this. So you might say, all right, I'll buy two puts and I'll buy 100 shares of stock. All right, so obviously if it moves... It moves up ten bucks, and you didn't pay ten bucks for two puts. I hope uh, you're going to make money. And if it goes down ten bucks, you're long two contracts that are downside and only short one, the stock. So you're essentially movement helps you. So you don't. We we did one of those kinds of spreads in every single one of the twenty stacks. 
and uh, we, me, uh, um, Jan was off doing what Jan off, is often doing. So, and then we sold premium in the XMI. So we ended up being dead neutral. We just were playing the, paying the price game. We were buying stuff cheaper than we were selling it because the implied volatility in the XMI was higher than it was in virtually any of the individual stacks, which we thought was crazy. And it turns out, all of a sudden we had this big move uh, with the Gulf War and everything, and then the, the peace, you know, well, the war ended. I won't say it was peace, but the war ended, and things flew all over the damn place. We ended up doing very well, all right? So, you know, not, you know, not uh, must money, but we we made on a probably of, I don't know how much, what the investment was, the total lo- loss could have been. Uh, well, actually, in theory, there couldn't have been a total loss, but in theory. So we made, you know, 50 grand, say. And, uh, and it wasn't that big of a, a deal. Maybe it was 100. But I went back, Elian, and I looked at all the 20 stacks, hmm. you know, as a word of review. And what I'm trying to trying to say is what I was saying earlier. you got to make sure if you, you're either correlated or you're not. And if I would have been lazy and left, like, two or three of the stacks out, sure. we'd, we'd have gotten our ass kicked. Because hmm. we made almost all our money in two or three of them. It was American Express. It was because, I mean, they were having real problems. Because nobody was flying anywhere. <clears throat> um, there was a couple others, a couple of the oil companies. I think Chevron was in there. But uh, if I'd have somehow said, "Eh, fifteen's good enough. Fifteen's good enough. I'm getting, I'm getting tired of this." If I if I'd have picked the wrong three, we'd have gotten annihilated. So you you really do have to be careful when you have markets moving. Well, anytime you never know when they're going to move. But markets are moving. I mean, if, if you have a, a single issue that you need to or you feel you need uh, to protect. You, you better protect that stock or if you're there or that index. You can't just say, boy, I really love my XYZ. If the market goes down 50%, XYZ is only going to go down 10%. So why would I want to buy puts in XYZ? I'm just going to buy them in the SPY, say. Do you find that people do have personal attachments to oh, certain with, stocks? without a doubt. Why, though? Because they watch these people on TV all day long. I guess we so, just, right? We just had a client, potential client, three weeks ago, called Nameless. Mm. I was on the phone with him for an hour. And there was, he had a list of like 20 stacks that he had bought. Every single stack, he can remember the person who recommended the stack and how good of a guy <laughs> that guy is. It, the, the, I mean, uh, the difference between retail clients, not everyone, but retail clients and their attachment to these stacks. Apple, it, it's, the, it's the cathedral of Apple. You can't, you can't get a share of Apple on anybody with a, with a pair of pliers on a canine. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they've made money on Apple. They, they owe the place. Yeah, and I, I tell you, for me, trading as long as I have, I have, I have no affinity for any of these. I mean, I, I, some of the companies I think are well run, yeah, and those kinds of things, and I'll be happy to say that. Uh, but the idea that that I think that I owe them something or they owe me—it's like being a bear fan. None of the bear. If I was a bear fan, they're not showing up at my wake, are they? I don't think so. I always found that very interesting with sports people. Like, I can't believe we lost. I'm like, dude, you didn't do anything. <laughs> As they used to say on the floor, who's we? You got a mouse in your pocket? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, I, I, I love baseball, but the idea that the Cubs ever cared about me, and they surely didn't the year when they stepped charging me uh, for tickets and then they got rid of half the team and I couldn't give the tickets away. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's very similar. But, I mean, Apple has made a lot of people wealthy. But the idea that a stack can trade 160 and it goes down to 133 and you're still okay with it because you got in at 50, for God's sake. You're down 30. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, it's massive. It, it's a massive. I mean, I, I look at the, the, the difference, Oliani, between a, uh, a professional trader and retail. Really, like, there's like two things only. Okay. Uh, one is you mark yourself to market every day. Okay. In other words, if, if if you hand me your portfolio and I see you've got Apple in there and it's and Apple's this morning, it's up, uh, it's up a buck eighty one, one thirty three thirty seven, and we you just say, well, you want to don't want to protect it, you want to hold. I'm not saying you should, but. But uh, if, if you now next week we talk again, and it's one twenty-five, and you bought it at a hundred, you think you think you're still up twenty-five. I think you're down eight. Okay. Because when I first spotted it, it was one thirty-three, and now it's one twenty-five. Gotcha. That's. I mean, that, that's the other thing is um, you you never uh, you never remember what you paid for something because it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, I guess so. Right. I mean, it it, it is what it is today. And, and, and if somebody says I've got a thousand shares of the stack and it's five hundred bucks, and if I were to say if if I gave you a half a million dollars, mm-hmm. would you buy? Would you put every nickel into the stack? And you say the answer is no, then we better do something. Right. If you say, oh, absolutely, I love the place. Well, that's your money. That's that's okay. So I'm saying it, it is. People become involved in this stuff. I mean, I, in the old days, when you, if you worked for Western Electric and you had AT and T stack. And mm-hmm. somehow you got some of it, or you bought it, or some kind of a, a payment program where the dividends were, a, they call it a drip program, where your dividends are reinvested and everything. And you're working there. Well, that, that I can understand. I mean, you're, you're at least working at the place, and you, and you know, if the place makes money and you think it's doing good, you like the management, and you're there. It is a little too many eggs in one basket. Uh, sure. You've got your job and your stack in the same place. But at least I could see then where you have some affinity for, but why, why would you have affinity for Elon Musk? <laughs> well, people he, have their reasons. <laughs> I mean, does, he, does he care about you? I'm saying no. SP Futures up 53. NASDAQ Futures up 158. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. 
Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Aliani of the board. SP features up 53, NASDAQ features up 158. Do we have the professor? Yep, I'm here. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing well. My uh, son and I were watching uh, Stranger Things uh, Volume 1, Episode 5, 6, and 7 last night. So we were up till midnight. <laughs> Good. Good for you. I, uh, I saved this story for you. Eliani will love this. And, mm. uh, and, and, I might have I might have reached the, the a new low in, in human behavior. What have you done? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're all the shootings and everything. Okay. S- Saturday morning, I mean, uh, Eliani's think figured this out about me. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm loyal to a, to a, to an absolute fault. So that is true. The uh, my barber here used to be in the CBOE building. Of course, the CBOE building is useless now. So the, the, they had a, they basically disbanded with COVID. Now, I'm not saying it was the CBOE's fault. Although now there's nobody in the building. Um, right. He's out in Westchester, right? So uh, I usually get my, when I need a haircut, I get the 8 or, eight or 8.30 on a Saturday morning. I go out to Westchester and then Ryan, or the Eisenhower at that time, there's never any traffic. Get out there and back real quick. Saturday morning, I uh, get out there and I'm flying along, minding my own business. There's no traffic. All of a sudden there's a guy in front of me. I can kind of see him slowing down, slowing down, but he didn't have any brake lights. All of a sudden, he like really slows down, and I, mean, I almost hit him, which I've never even come close to rearing anybody. I'm like, "What the hell? Is, why? Why are you stopping that fast? A without any brake lights?" And uh, it turns out Eisenhower is jammed, and I had the windows open. It was a beautiful day, so I'm not listening to the radio like an idiot. And then there's this exit where everybody's trying to get off this exit, to where I could have, since I have the four wheel drive vehicle, I actually could have like gone up the embankment. And got on and got off here, <laughs> and I think I'm not that big of an ass. <laughs> I, I can't do that, so I just say I missed the exit. I just got. Well, I turn the radio on. It turns out that the Eisenhower has been closed for six hours because mm. of a of a fatal crash. Now, these people, two people in a car are driving. It's got to be hundred plus. Hit the guardrail, lose control. Hit the guardrail, go up in the air, hit this light pole. The car splits in half, and the, and the two bodies go flying across the expressway. <gasps> yeah. Oh, man. So the it takes hell? six hours, like, to clean the thing up in an accident. I mean, what are you investigating? The guy was going too fast. But anyway, it takes him six hours. So now we're sitting there, and there actually was another exit you could sort of get off. Hmm. And, of course, one, two, three, four idiots hit the shoulder. Then everybody hits the shoulder. It's a lot you know? of idiots. Yeah, so then all of a sudden, once you get to like the four number, then everybody hits the shoulder. So now, <laughs> instead of four lanes, we're stacked up on, or I'm stacked up on five. So then, of course, there's somebody actually on the shoulder because their car broke down. So these people want everybody to let them back in 
and then they go back to the shoulder in a minute they get around the car. You know, so I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going nowhere. But the best is, all of a sudden, I see in front of me, now we're inching along, you went like one or two miles an hour for 10 feet. I mean, we're going nowhere, absolutely nowhere. I was there an hour to go a mile. And fortunately, the thing opened up finally. They opened it. I never got off. The, so in front of me, I go, this can't be serious. I see this pickup truck in this car in an accident. Ugh. I'm thinking, how in God's name? The guy must have tried to get in, tried to get in, and the guy in the pickup was... Now, everybody's moving lanes, even though no lane is moving, right? you still got to move where you think the other one's inching further. Sure. So the guy in the pickup truck just, like, whacks into the guy's driver's side door, and they're just sitting there. <laughs> you, wow. you, you can't... You couldn't possibly have gotten an accident when nobody's moving unless you did it on purpose. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is this is a new low in human... It's like it's like there are two guys in a car in a car, and they, and they purposely rammed each other. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, I'm like, this, this is not the most beautiful Saturday morning you ever saw. You go, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> oh my anyway, hell, that's my that's my traffic story from Saturday morning. But this is all before eight o'clock. That's why. Oh, that's why I always use my GPS. I, I, I know my way around Utah. I know my way around New York City, Brooklyn. But no matter where I go, because traffic has gotten here so bad, gotten bad so bad here. I, I put on my GPS and I map it out. Yeah. Google Maps tells you where the traffic is right and it routes you around it. So it doesn't matter if I'm dropping my kids off at school or if I'm going to uh, the uh, aquarium in Brooklyn. I put it on my Google Map and I get around the traffic. Well, I mean, obviously I had the, ra- the radio on, which has that on there. It's all they were talking yeah. about. But I, I just, I mean, it was so nice out. I had the windows open and I was just cruising along. There's nobody, there's nobody out. All of a sudden, oops. What? Was that pickup truck in front of you or that car in front of you? Did they uh, have a switch to turn off the brake lights? I don't know what they did, but I just, I'm like, the guys, it looks Maybe like... Tr- I know people who have switches in their cars, and they'll flick that switch. I don't know them personally, but they'll flick that switch, hoping to get an accident, uh, and then get you uh, get your insurance to pay for it. You know, the, oh, the and, go and go with the neck thing and everything else? That's possible. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, that was an episode of Wings. Roy used to do that with his uh, his uh, uh, car. He'd flip the switch and uh, rake in the accidents. Yeah. Well, my I'm old not sure car. If you remember that? Wasn't there something like that on, on Better Call Saul as well? well? Oh no, that was no, no, that was a skateboarder that threw himself on a car. That's yeah. right. Yeah. We also got <laughs> yeah, careful. In wings, Roy <laughs> would uh, turn his lights off and induce a crash and then get a settlement. <laughs> well, also, you could you gotta be careful if somebody bumps into your back end. They want to steal the car. You never want to get out. Oh, yeah, that, that could be the case, too, yeah. Oh, what about man. that pickup? You know, in Utah, it's crazy, man. We have some crazy drivers here. And I'm turning left into my kids' school, and it's a pretty busy um, east-to-west road. And in Utah, you have these really wide east-to-west roads, and then you have, like, highways going south and north. And you try and turn left, and these cars don't slow down, man. It's like they want to hit you. Oh. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I actually had to replace my... Brake light switch on my '66 F85 Oldsmobile. You mean your house? Oh, wow! But you know, it was the easiest <laughs> thing in the world. Your brake pedal. This is how this is the, this is how simple cars used to be. Just, I bet it's still the same thing. You know, behind your brake yeah. pedal, there's there's a there's a there's a button switch. When the brake pedal comes up, it it compresses the button and actually turns the brake lights off. They're normal. They're normally in a in those cars, they were normally in an on configuration. And when the pe- brake pedal came up, it compressed the button and actually turned them off. So as soon as you yeah. pushed down on the brake, the button popped out and they went back on. So after 
you know, five years they wouldn't work, and the thing cost those days seven, eight bucks. I got on the dashboard when I was still limber and unscrewed the old one, put the new one in, put the wire in, and it was good to go. Took me ten yeah. minutes. No, no, I mean, well, pickup trucks are pretty. Pickup trucks are pretty easy too. I had a '68 Ford pickup truck. It was a four by four. It weighed about eight thousand pounds. Oh yeah. And every month I had to adjust the dwell and the timing. Otherwise, I was going to get three miles per gallon instead of like nine. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you have the did you have the timing light and everything? Well, I had it in my truck. I, I had the timing light behind the seat. Yeah. And every time I, every month I'd pull into the gas station, flip the hood, throw the timing light down there. Adjust the timing just a little bit. Adjust the dwell, <laughs> and uh, be off. I did that once a month for like the three years I owned that pickup yeah, truck. Why man. would why would it keep slipping on you? Usually, once you set it, it's good just, to go. I, I wanted to optimize it, I guess, but it, it would just keep slipping for some reason. I don't know why. I think I think you said adjusting like that in the old days. Um, <laughs> Eliana, you have any idea what a timing light is? No. It's a you hook you hooked it up to uh, you hooked up for the distributor, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you, and, and, and on the motor on the bottom there were these marks or the timing marks. Okay. And when the 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 motor came around, you with the strobe light you could actually tell where it was versus these marks. And you were either dead. You ever watch my cousin Vinny? I have. Where she said it's a, yeah. The timing is what half degree advance or dead nuts neutral or whatever. <laughs> you could, you could actually, if you falls on accurate. Yeah. If you if you advance the timing, you actually get more power out of it. But then it's harder to start. Uh, it's harder to crank. Yeah. And if, and if you're and if, if and if you're going kind of slow, you would say that your timing was retarded. Not, not the person was retarded. Your timing was retarded, which means it wasn't advanced enough. Uh, so I'm going to guess that your timing would retard somehow, and you had to advance it again. Hell, is that true? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I, if I would have replaced the distributor, I didn't have any money. Um, I think if I replaced the distributor, I, I wouldn't have to adjust so often. But it seemed like I had adjusted every month. Yeah, every every one of your, but there actually were. Timing marks. I don't think, but I'm sure they're not there anymore. Yeah, I actually used whiteout. I used whiteout to mark, make it easier to see, so I could do it quicker. Yeah, because have you ever seen a white? Yeah, you ever see in a physics class uh, when you have what do they what do they used to call that things where you'd spin it around and you could stop the wave, so you just see the wave. A stroboscope. Yeah. A timing yeah. light is something like a stroboscope, Eliani. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, anyway, talk about old cars, but they. They were uh, inefficient, but they were fun, and they were easy to... I mean, you open up the hood, and you're like... Especially with no air conditioning, you're like, where is everything? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, well the one thing about that 68 Ford was it didn't have power brakes, and it weighed 8,000 pounds. So when you wanted to stop, you had to stand on the brake. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, what I did at Michigan, when I was living in Michigan, where I had coffee with uh, the guys after work, yeah. I built a bracket that allowed me to install a power brake booster on the truck, so I just had to touch it with my big toe instead. Well, I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a 67 GTO convertible with no power brakes, no power steering. And, uh, man, parking... Was it steering truck, like three feet wide? No, it was, you know, you had, well, I mean, you had a tug. I mean, I was strong enough where I could move it parked, but, I mean... Yeah. I mean, uh, as my, my uncle used to say, the, the worst invention males ever did to let women drive was power steering. Without, without power steering, it's a it's a serious pain. But if you're not moving, oh, yeah. you can't you can't turn it. And uh, well, in my pickup truck, that four by four sixty eight Ford, what I do is I'd always do the pre steer. I always told people when you drive my truck, make sure you park it in a way that you know you're going to be able to get out without having to turn the steering wheel. Oh yeah, there's no way that, you can... turn that steering wheel is impossible. Yeah, you had a you know yeah if you were if you were parking in a parking spot 
and you were just facing, you know, you were plugged in there, mm. if you had to just turn the thing without, it, you didn't have to move much. You could be moving, you know, a, a, a foot an hour, and, and the thing would turn. But if if you were dead stopped, even even me yanking on it, you know, I was a pretty strong guy in those days. I mean, you you you, you couldn't turn the thing <laughs> when when, no. when you were when you were steady. <laughs> I'm stuck here now. I live here now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, but why this thing was a 67? It wasn't like a 52. Right. And I'm like. God bless, but the power breaks. <laughs> so pretty old car. Oh God! Well, the uh, actually one last. Time. Nothing's worse than uh, than power breaks that are out. <laughs> but, uh, I went to drive my first day driving a cab. Uh, I'm driving a cab for Evergreen Park, and all of a sudden the, the thing clunks out. So the guy goes, "Don't worry, we'll come and push you over to the to the uh, garage." So Longwood Drive here <clears throat> has these pretty good sized hills. So the guy pushes me over the top of this hill, and I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm heading south on this hill, and I'm pushing the brakes, and they're not working. I had hit that. I had to push them so hard that I thought I was going to break the seat in order to stop. Well, you need that engine. You need that engine vacuum to get that uh, power brake booster to work. Well, the regular non-power brakes are nowhere near as hard to push as power brakes without the assister. I mean, they're yeah. like useless. I mean, you, you got to be King Kong to push those things. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so, but uh, he becomes the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, he becomes the Hulk. I mean, it, it, I mean, I mean, some of the stuff with the cars. I mean, you wonder how these things even move, but they did. Uh, all right, Hal, we we bottomed out in Bitcoin on Saturday. Well, at least currently, and it's picking the market right back up. It's about twenty. It's you know, about twenty k. Yeah, but they, they think they hit seventeen something on Saturday. Oh wow! I'm still not actually convinced. Maybe you can help me. Where where do these things? They, is there a mark? Or do they just trade twenty four hours. I mean, now I'll look at this thing and it'll say it's up. Uh, Bitcoin is up. I'll get the number today. Um, they'll they'll say it's up nine hundred bucks from it's a twenty one thousand zero four four. But from where? I mean, tomorrow it'll show us up nine hundred bucks and it'll be eighteen thousand. I mean, I don't know where does the where is the mark on Bitcoin? Well, when I. Uh looked at Bitcoin over a longer time horizon, I think I went from like 2015 to the current period, I kind of had the bottom around 15, I just did a simple line from trough to trough, and then everything above that line is essentially uh, all the stimulus, whether it's fiscal or monetary stimulus, of the last couple of years, it just blew that thing up. And I think what was happening is people were just buying it. You can, I can buy, like I told you a week ago, or so you can actually buy Bitcoin with a credit card on uh, Coinbase, or I think even on my my uh, Blue Wallet app that I have all my my Bitcoin on, you can buy it with credit cards, right? And I didn't buy any on credit card. I, I used my debit card to buy the Bitcoin that I have, and I've lost value on it because I got into it late. But I think all that monetary stimulus, all that fiscal stimulus, people are buying it on on credit. And now, so all most of that price that we saw in the last year, last couple of years has just been the result of irresponsible fiscal restraint and and monetary policy. So I had the bottom around fifteen, and I it took me about five minutes to draw this line. So I didn't put any thought into my bottom at fifteen thousand. It just looked like a, a, a pretty good line to draw to demonstrate how much the Fed and Congress and the presidents the last two have just uh, put into this Bitcoin 
in terms of money printing. It's it's incredible how much how much of that Bitcoin price is that irresponsibility in the Fed and and Congress. Well, I mean, it's not just it's not just Bitcoin. I mean, I uh, yeah. Well, that's why we have so many. Diff- that's why we have so many different uh, cryptocurrencies too. I I think people figured out that fiat currency can't can't is not sustainable. These these central planners at the Fed. The Fed is not a market institution. The Fed is a group of central planners, a cartel of bankers. Uh, who are setting prices. And I think people figured it out. And that's why there's so many, that's why one reason why there's so many different cryptocurrencies and why the crypto got so big. Because people, I think it got so big in terms of price because of all the irresponsibility. People are buying it on margin, buying it through debit, debit cards, buying it on well, margin, you're, and you're, it drove the price. Irresponsibility. But I think the, number, the number of currencies, the number of cryptocurrencies, and the price they got to really reflects how bad monetary policy has been. Well, ir- irresponsibility begets irresponsibility. Yeah, I mean, your your your, your people are I had this debate with a gentleman upstairs in my place, and he's a huge Bitcoin guy, getting paid in it. I hope he's all right. I haven't seen him. Hopefully, there's not a body somewhere around my place. If he got paid in it, if he got paid, you know, five years ago, he's doing great. But if he got paid in it. Well, you're a not, year ago, you're not. You're not. Yeah. You're not. You know, you're, you're talking like a retail trader. You're down from sixty to twenty. You're not doing great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm saying the, the. You and I, we've been talking on the air for a while. I mean, we did this God, years ago. We said, why? Why is it out there? It's out there for. I'm going to say three reasons, and please add to them because I. I'm going to say is people are degrading their their. Uh, Fiat currency, and for the, I'm not going to say the first time now because I haven't read all about history, but uh, the first time in my memory, the central banks were amazingly together in degrading them all at once. So, oh, yeah. so you couldn't say to somebody, uh, even you know, even if you talk to one of the guys on TV, you'd say, "Well, the dollar is going down." Well, no, it's not. It's right with the euro. It's right with the yen, and it's right with. The pound. I'm going, I said I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the dollars going down in relation to my computer or, or my car. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, I mean, it, I mean, you and I know the dollars are, are versus everything else, not just each other fiat currency. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, if I added to that the idea that these 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 mutts, I'll, I'll say that, want to take cash out of the system, so you and I can't do anything that they don't know about. Okay, so that's to me is a problem. So we got a value problem, and we have a uh, you know a, a big big brother problem, and we could probably find a couple other problems that said that should somebody come up with an alternative alternative way for people to buy stuff should should there be an alternative currency of some sort? And I I would say, I mean, hell, you know, in my opinion, always always has been the answer could very well be yes. Yet. Now, if you and I were going to do it, we since we, I think, know something about classical currency and know something about the Romans and the Greeks and their currencies, the first thing we would say is, well, it has to it has to have some sort of intrinsic value or it's not going to be any good. You know, just like cigarettes in the concentration camps, they at least were worth a cigarette, right? Which was big deal yeah. at the time. So you and I... Until would, you smoked them. Yeah, well, until you smoked them. Well, until you... 
you, you could use beers too until you drank it. <laughs> but, but that's the whole point. You want to drink it. The, uh, but I'm saying you and I would find something that has some sort of value. We'd find a way where people could transact between each other without some government knowing about it. Uh, and those kinds of things. Well, I think, in my opinion, Bitcoin always, always forgot point number one. There's no value to it. And, and they, and they give you this. That, I think that's, I think that indicates just how bad monetary policy is. Right. Well, but it's right? also. If people are willing to trust something, they're tr- willing to trust something that can't be physically traded. But add, add to that, you know, this is the, this is the part I, um, with what you do all day, which I would rather be doing what you're doing, what I'm doing, to be, t- be honest with you. What you do all day, you don't see what I see in the in the sense that there's there's 75 year old people that aren't making any money in a bank and are paranoid about yeah. their return. And if you and I came out tomorrow, and I, you and I would never do this, we're way too honest. If I were to say tomorrow, and you agreed with me, being a professor, we get Russell to agree with us that the best investment in the world is alligator eggs and actually whatever the hell they got over in Botswana and, and these things are going to the roof because they're, they're, they're a cure for baldness or some crap, I guarantee you we'd have 15 people call today and say well, how can I get into these things? Anything that moves up, everybody wants in. doesn't matter what it is, they don't have to know what it is. They don't have to name it a company. If it's, it tends to name momentum trading, right? Because yeah. Everybody is chasing returns because you can't walk down to the savings and loan Give them your cash and get three percent and go home and relax. You can't do that. And well, all that is because of this i this Keynesian idea that savings is bad and consumerism is good, and and I think that that's one of the problems with the way economics is taught. Um, and I think the 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 key to growth and wealth accumulation is savings. Well, uh, and, and when there's no savings, the Fed has to. Manufacturer, it has to create it out of thin air and has to paper over um, the fact there's no savings. Yeah, well, how can you? And that creates the inflation. I mean, I'm sure in your in your lowest level class, where the first formula formulas you put on the blackboard, and I'm dating you know the blackboard, uh, and the blackboard is S equals I, right? Savings equal investment. Yeah. If you've got no savings, how do you get your investment? The Fed has to create it, has to paper over it, has that's, to that's has so- to conjure up. That is so sloppy that that'll never work over a period of time. You and I know that. Yep, exactly. Because yeah. what we're saying here—it creates here, the malinvestment and the overconsumption. Well, would, would, I mean, was, if you if you look at Bitcoin, I think the, one of the reasons why the price is so high is just because of that that Austrian idea of malinvestment, right? And when 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 the house of cards comes tumbling down, those malinvestments, you know, we all of a sudden like they're obvious to us because you know the the, the house has fallen down. And so that's that's why savings is so important, and that's why I'm not a Keynesian. Well, I'm not so sure that that's not a, a Keynesian formula. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about original, the actual, the actual. There's a big difference, Hal, between original Keynesian economics and original monetary theory out of the University of Chicago, and what these guys purported to be today. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what these guys are talking about. But to me, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, when you look at a bank, the, the whole idea is that, I mean, this is, it's sociology, sociological. It's, there's a lot of people that have done well and have money and have saved it, correct? Now, those people want to get a return on their money. This is, this is as simple as it goes. And I, I've always tried to keep things as simple as, as, simple as possible. Well, there's other people, young people say, Eliani's got a terrific idea. 
of uh, you know we don't have any any concert venues in Chicago that are decent let's say on the southwest side or something whatever it is and she's got an idea that she can put this place up and she can make money on it and then she's the she's the she showed it other places and blah 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 well Eliani is a person who maybe has the ideas for investment but doesn't have the money you and I happen to have some money so the trick is she goes to a bank we put our money in the bank the bank pays us money for our investment they turn around and they lend it to Eliani who's got the idea for a little more than they pay us in the in the middle pays for the bu- building pays for the banker and the idea is her idea is good she makes more than that she pays the bank off interest and pays us off. everybody that that's how our economy is designed to work right how I men that, that you, what intermediaries banks do is match up people with the the funds with people with the ideas correct this yeah. is this is not that hard you don't need a government to do that and yet now yeah, I, th- I think I think the way it is going now is that uh, there are so many things that create so many different policies that create moral hazard in banks and I think the fact that the FDIC the Fed is the lender of last resort um, the Fed has become the uh, backer of all this deficit spending of the Republicans and Democrats in Congress it just twists it in a way where it becomes um, not what it should be with what you're describing right now, where you have savers putting money into a savings account, and then you have borrowers borrowed against those savings. It just gets so twisted, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a problem, because there's so much moral hazard embedded in the system. Well, they're, they're, I mean, they're... you can you can borrow from the Fed. If you're a, federal, if you're a bank, you can borrow from the Fed at negative interest rates, negative real interest rates, and you can lend to somebody at negative real interest rates and still make an arbitrage profit off that. Well, that's, that's, that's how twisted our system is. It's becoming very twisted. Let's talk about more after the break. This is, this is interesting stuff. SP Futures up 56, Nancy Futures up 175. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. 
I'm sure you are aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we have always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single-family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tamal Eliani on the board. SP Peters up 60. NSA Peters up 187. Kind of big news of the morning, or other than the market being up, is Kellogg's is going to split into three different companies. There's the old cereal company and the, the Doritos company and uh, some, something else. Uh, that, they're not Doritos. They're uh, what, what's the they're Pringles. Anyway, they're, they're, they're split into three different companies. The stock's up 445, up trading 72. It's a big move in Kellogg's. Uh, Dow Futures, get those up here. They're up like 450. They are up uh, exactly, uh, where are we here? Exactly 4, 420. They were up over 500 when we came in. So we're leaking just a little, but we're still up pretty strong. Uh, over in Europe, DAX up 52. Now this is down from an hour ago. It's only 0.4%. They were up like a, a whole percentage point a little bit a while ago. Puts you up 38.5%. CAC down 57. Uh, that's a full 1%, but they were up 1.4. So they're, they're slipping over there in the last hour. In Asia, uh, Nikkei up 475. It's 1.8%. Shanghai down 8.3%. Hang Seng up 395, 1.9. Uh, Friday, Dow was down 38, S&P up 8, uh, NASDAQ down, up 152, but the week was horrendous. Uh, bonds up 2 basis points, 326. Uh, the bond up almost 10 basis points, 1.75. And this one, I have to ask, ask Hal on what the hell's happening here. Japan up 20 basis points to 0.43. They must have raised their, uh, their cent- the central bank must have raised their rate or something. That's a big move. They've been at 0.25 forever. Oil, up 237, 110.36. Rent up a point, 115.82. Natural gas down 34 cents. 660, that was 9.30 three weeks ago. That's a massive move in natural gas. Arbob up 14 cents, 3.93. Uh, gold can't go anywhere, down 270, 18.37. Silver up a dime, 21.68. Copper up 2 cents, 403. We've got crypto after, uh, allegedly, I uh, dropped almost 17,000 on Saturday. It's back up. A thousand dollars today, twenty one thousand zero five nine. So we'll see if whatever that the uh, the, the uh, low low tick on Saturday holds for a while, uh, and it just might. 
Eliani, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Thanks so much, Chief. Good morning, everyone. Currently 7.35 a.m. on June 21st. Let's start with baseball. Uh, Cubs lost massively to the Pirates last night, 12-1. to White Sox beat the Blue Jays last night, 8-7. to And the Diamondbacks lost to the Padres, 4-1. to uh, We do have a heat advisory once again in Chicago today, so please be mindful of that. But looking at the weather, currently sunny, 78, pretty comfortable with a high of 100, starting at about 4 o'clock and a low of 72 at night. Looking at weather in Phoenix, currently clear skies, 70, with a high of 107 and a low of 77. So please be mindful of the heat there as well. Looking at traffic in Chicago this morning, pretty hectic, so let's get into it. We have traffic eastbound on 290 between Route 20 all the way to downtown, approaching the 290 I-94 construction intersect. We have traffic westbound on 290 between Western and 17th. We have intermittent traffic northbound on 294 between Route 50 and the 55 North Ramp and between Roosevelt Road and the I-90 connector. We have traffic southbound on 294 between Irving Park Road and 22nd Street being caused by an accident at County Line Road. Uh, we have traffic eastbound on 88 between Midwest Road and, two, and the 290 East Ramp. We have more traffic eastbound on I-90 between Lee Street and Lawrence and westbound between Lawrence and Cumberland. Traffic eastbound 94 between Tui and Canalport. And westbound between uh, East 130th and Old Orchard Road. Traffic northbound on 57 between West 119th and the 94 East Ramp. Traffic northbound 55 between Route 171 and South Damon. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 31st Street and East Grand. And then back southbound between East Grand and East Roosevelt. Back to you, Chief. Yeah. Well, I think what, we're, what we've been kicking around here is that the system, as designed, has actually a simplicity to it and a, and a beauty to it. And both of us, coming from different directions, keep railing on the fact that our central bank and our Congress keep messing with a system that's actually pretty good, in my opinion. I, is that kind of where you're coming from, the same place? Yeah, I mean, if you really think about what the Fed is, I think what it really is populated by a bunch of people who are really smart, they have PhDs in economics, but they don't do economics, they do mathematics. And here's a great example. Up until about, what, 2003, I think the discount rate was actually a discount. Um, the discount rate was below the federal funds rate, I think by about 50 basis points, if I remember right. It's been a while since I taught money in banking. But in 2003, when the federal funds rate went really, really low to about 1%, they were fearful of the discount rate going negative, so they flipped it. And from that point on, the discount rate was set 100 basis points above the federal funds rate. Now, but here's the interesting thing. This is why I said there's not a lot of economists working at the Fed. The Fed had to uh, discourage people from borrowing from the discount window for 80 years. But here's the question. Why would bankers want to borrow from the Fed at you know, 3% instead of from other banks at 3.5% because the rate is lower. Yeah. So what the Fed did to prevent people from borrowing from the discount window is threaten them with audits. And it had a team of auditors go out and audit any bank that abused the discount window. But why were they abused the discount window? Because they could borrow at a lower rate from the Fed than other banks. And all that flipped in 2003. Now, after 2003, they don't need to worry about people abusing the discount window. Right? So the Fed is not populated by people who are doing economics. It's populated by people who are doing mathematics. And that is our central banker, right? Well, the That's our central banker. They don't do economics there. Well, next they don't time, understand markets. Well, next time you come to Chicago, I'll introduce you to some of the people from over there. And I'm going to say, 
90 to 95 percent of what they do is stuff that we absolutely cannot do without. It's it's check 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 settling, uh, banks individual banks. Well, I think I think that stuff is fine for the Federal Reserve. Yeah. They want to do that kind of stuff. But when it comes to economic policy, I don't think there's a lot of economics being well, done there. The, well, the I think it's all mathematized. Well, the, the economic policy is is being influenced by, I think, people outside the Fed. This whole concept of being yeah. independent. What what Al and I are talking about with the with one of the reasons why you need quote a Fed is when you an agrarian economy, the banking system was not going to work because guess what, people had their savings and in and in April. You went to the bank to borrow for the plantings, and you took your savings out, and the banks didn't have any money. <laughs> At the end of the summer, when everybody sold their crops, the banks were so flush, and there was no loans. So w- one of the things the Fed does is, is balance out the various areas of the country, right? Because in some areas, you're, you're borrowing, and, you're, and, you're, and your uh, savings patterns are different. So they're, they're in charge of, of core, and it's a, it's a massive job to do what they do, to make sure that... The ninety bazillion currency transactions every year settle up at the same minute in Europe, so every day is in a crisis. I mean, right? How? I mean, people make light. Well, yeah, there's a yeah. movie. There's a movie with uh, Tommy Lee Jones in it and Hilary Swank. Is it Hilary Swank? I love Hilary Swank. It's called Homesman. It's called Homesman, and it shows a bank in Iowa defaulting, and they issued their own banknotes. And Tommy Lee Jones wants to enter a poker game near the end of the movie. But he's not—he's denied entry to the poker game because the banknotes—they got word that those banknotes were no longer good, right? So banks used to issue their own banknotes, well, and it look, worked as a little local currency in a local economy. But um, that might be an argument for the Fed, right? Well, I mean, if, if you go to, go to, if you watch an old old show of Bonanza, and they're walking into the Virginia City Bank, I guarantee you. That the money that was issued, except for the coins, now the coins were fed. The money that was issued was probably on the Virginia City Bank. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, but I'm saying is 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 what the, I mean. Every every check that goes anywhere goes through the local Fed, right? Goes from your yeah. bank. Goes from it goes from uh, whatever bank you you cashed it in. It flows through that other through the Fed to the bank that you that you have your checking account in. So. What they do, but I, I think the, the the issue they have uh, is that they can't they can't be independent. I mean, how how can you be? I mean, you you and I are, are reasonably strong backbone creatures, but I'm not so sure that if we have a, a president saying he's going to do a, a trillion dollar infrastructure program, but he's only planning on taxing and borrowing eight hundred billion of it, and he comes to you to print the other two hundred billion, you say you're on your own, buddy. I mean, it's you'd have to have a of, of reputation of being, you know, Solomon or George Washington long before you got that job. And by the way, if you ever had that reputation, you'd never get that job. Or where am I wrong? Yeah, I, I, I don't think the Fed is independent at all. I think the Fed feeds uh, the beast in D.C. And the politicians know it. And they can do whatever they want. And they know the Fed is going to buy it, either directly or indirectly. They do it directly by buying, you know, monetizing it, or they do it indirectly by telling banks, hey, you buy it, and then we'll buy it from you. Right, yeah. So, you know, D.C. knows this, right? So they can do whatever they want. And the best way to, the best way to uh, stop this nonsense is just to not lift the debt ceiling. Lifting, if, you, if they don't lift the debt ceiling, D.C.'s got to get its ducks in order. They gotta get their ducks in order because they won't be able to borrow. Well, you, they'll, you, actually, they'll actually have to run surplus. Yeah, but you're not gonna, 
So that that right there, if they have to run surpluses, that stops this nonsense of these idiotic foreign wars. It'll prevent us from intervening in the internal affairs of other nations like that. Well, you that, that that'll have to end this uh, Defense Department and all these military interventions all throughout the world. That's we have to scale that way back. That, that's assuming that the CIA doesn't have their own revenue sources, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, they, oh, I'm sure they have their revenue sources. Because I think the movies, all these movies that come out, I think the CIA is feeding these stories to Hollywood. And I think Hollywood's job is to make them seem like they're fictional when they're really not. I think I think Hollywood tells the truth in regard to the state and the CIA and these covert op- well, operations. Well, I, I, I think that the that a lot of what goes on our foreign policy is our is a, is the advance arm for these big corporations. Yeah, I mean it's and I don't I don't know how you I don't know how you even begin to get your hands around this. I mean even if you had a a third party, I know you're a libertarian, but I, I'm not big on. Other than you, the libertarian group, but say say we had a a, a down the middle regular guy party. <laughs> How's that? It would be a Rodney Dangerfield regular guy party. We actually got somebody in with maybe enough senators and representatives where they at least could you know make a little noise in Congress. How long do you think it would take that person to even get his hands around what the hell's even going on? I think the CIA is going to tell. Well, him. I think even if they went to D.C. with the best intentions, I think uh, you go to D.C. And I think all these kinds of side trades that are going on, you know, they got the Stock Act being voted uh, down during the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah. 80 to 20 in the Senate in a voice vote. Somebody knows who voted for who, right? You you, you go to D.C. with the best intentions, but if you play ball, you're going to walk away like Hoyer did with millions of dollars in the bank. Well, what if you're... And if you play ball... What if, what if you're... Um, a Trump, but not Trump. If you actually were an outsider, I'm not saying he was even a Republican. An outsider, when you if you got in there, but you weren't some narcissistic blowhard, uh, you know. If, if, but if you were actually somebody, if you were George Washington, and you had the head of the CIA comes over and said, "I want a list of the top forty things you're doing," you think he'll even tell her, tell him or her? I don't think so. I think I think the federal bureaucracy's got so big. So bloated. I don't really. I think the 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 republic that we think we have is all smoke and mirrors. I would. I, I would. think the Defense Department and the CIA and all these organizations just do their thing with very little input from the executive branch. Honestly, that's my that's I, my honest. I, I, I think they are they are so intertwined. They, they, they remind me of the Interstate Commerce Commission, in Illinois, and their dealings with. Commonwealth Edison and People's Gas. They are Commonwealth Edison and People's Gas. They've become. They, they, I think the defense companies have more control of the Department of Defense than the executive branch does. Oh, I I would agree. I'm saying they, they they won't even, I mean, uh, we had a client who was, uh, he he got a new guy knew everything about nuclear power. I think he was a nuclear engineer of some kind, but he, um, he he was an old, he was a retired old dude, and he, and he, he used to get on these citizens' boards where they'd, They'd fight, uh, you know, against rate increases or something. He said, you get out and you get, go into the office down there, and there'd be like a couple people from ComEd just sitting there. You know, where are we going to lunch? <laughs> and he goes, they, yeah. they'd say, who the hell are you? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, from the citizens. They, they, they were like, what are you doing here? He said, and if you mount a, a big thing that where you, you know, fight a 
Commonwealth Edison, you actually get a, a rate increase shot down. Then you get the newspapers on your side and everybody else on your side, and there's interviews, and you, you basically work your fanny off. You're not, you're not getting paid for any of this, right? So Commonwealth Edison is fighting you with attorneys and lobbyists and so forth. And at the end of the day, they get to add that to their expenses, right? And, and so they, yeah. they, so that, that becomes an expense fighting you against rate. And he goes, you're out having a beer, slapping yourself on the back that you actually did this. Next morning, they already got the next rate increase in there. They're relentless. You can't fight them. Yeah. Just because they're, they're doing it for free and you're, and you're doing it on your own time. And, uh, and you, you can't win. So I don't, I don't see how you, I mean, if you were a president and, and you got in there for four years and you put the kibosh in, I mean, I, I would, I would walk into the SEC and I would just get rid of everybody. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't want see, to. Here, here's a great, here's a great example of how bad it is. Remember when Trump was running against Hillary? Yeah. He kept talking about how bad the Fed was and how the Fed kept interest rates low for Obama for eight years, almost zero. Yeah. He was, he was, I mean, I liked it. I like what he was saying, but as soon as he became president, guess what he did? Kept them low. He was pressing against the Fed for wanting to raise interest rates. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's so that's the problem right there, right? That's the problem. Well, you can be a critic of the system until you get in the system, and then you use the system just as your predecessor did. Well, the one issue you have now, though, is every percent higher the rate goes, it's three hundred billion on your budget. I know. Yeah. Well, that's a problem. I mean, if you and I are president. Yeah. And we sit there and we go, well, the rates ought to be 5%. We're going to go, gee, where, where are we going to get the money? Of course, you get a third of it back in taxes, right? So you got that going for you. Yeah, it, it's just going to grow exponentially. So, I mean, I, I, think one, I think one of the solutions is just some guy, some person uh, campaigning on this idea that we are not going to lift the debt ceiling ever again. And then that that right there would force us to make really hard decisions, and it would have to, you, they'd have to shrink the defense budget. Well, we can't, or, and we have to sorry. stop these foreign wars. You, you, you argue with me like Carl. So I, once in a while, I, I lob the Carl up, but you, you can't you can't, you can't do that, Al. Because if you're going to pass a budget that is in, in in deficit, all right, which they can do, then why why would the debt ceiling be a be a you know a bump in the road. You just if, if the if the budget was balanced, you wouldn't need to raise the best debt ceiling. So it's almost implied in your budget. Well, you're not you're not going to get a balanced budget amendment though. You're not going to get uh, Republicans and Democrats agreeing on a balanced budget. You're just not going to get it. They've been really rare in the last fifty years, right? right? We had some surpluses in the late 1990s. When the Republicans told Clinton, we're not going to give you what you want. But then what did the Republicans start doing as soon as they got that big budget surplus? They started doing what the Democrats were doing. They started spending it, right? I think a lot so of... So you're not going to get that agreement. You're just not going to get it. So the thing that you could do is say, we're not going to lift the debt ceiling, which forces the Congress to run budget surpluses. I think so they lot, can pay the interest on the debt. I, think, I won't say a lot, but some of that budget surplus... Had to do with our arcane rules regarding investments. That in the dot yeah. bomb era, the people who made two hundred dollars on a stock had to pay taxes. The people who lost two hundred couldn't deduct them. Which oh, is wow. same, yeah. Which is the same thing that's happening now. I mean, if, yeah. I mean, if you'd walk in, walked in and bought, you know, a thousand shares of uh, MicroStrategy at, at you know at a thousand dollars, which would be what? Uh, how many is that? Hundred million bucks, right? No, ten million bucks. Three three decimals over hundred million bucks. And all of a sudden now it's down to 
two hundred, you get to write that off at three thousand a year for the rest of your life. I don't know how long you're gonna live. I hope you live a long time, but I don't think you're gonna make it for that. To knock off a million bucks at three thousand a year. So that's you know that's a big issue. I don't know, I'm sure that, that's realized, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's yeah. as much. You can only take 3000 of capital loss against ordinary income every year. Mm-hmm. But if you make money on a stock, you got to pay the whole bore. So there's a huge, I mean, if a stock, that's, that's why I'm always ragging big time on if a stock goes from 100 to 1000 and back to 100, most people will say, what's the problem? And I'm going to say a lot of people borrowed when it was higher to buy it. If there's no borrowing, it wouldn't be as big of a deal, but there is. And if and if the taxes were the same mirror image up and down, it wouldn't be a problem, but they're not. So between the borrowing... Well, there's a huge, there's a huge incentive to leverage those purchases, though, right? Because with the Fed's inflation goal, uh, you're going to, on average, make money on a leveraged asset purchase than you will... So... The, the, the fact that Fed creates inflation creates an incentive for people to engage in margin yeah, but time, purchases. But timing is everything. If you, if you bought on margin this year, you're skunked. Oh, yeah. But because the Fed has this 2% inflation goal, and they want it to be a nice, smooth, stable 2% inflation, right, it creates this uh, perverse outcome where people want if they assume that this is going to be nice and stable 2% growth, it creates this perverse incentive to buy on margin because you know the Fed is going to inflate the currency. Where did this where did this 2% inflation goal come from? I, I think it's the way that this... Again, the Fed is a cartel of bankers. It's a, a group of central planners that make decisions, price cap decisions, price-setting decisions in a D.C. bordering, right? And so if you can create 2% inflation, then people who buy, like, real estate assets, for example, they know that they're going to win over the long run because their rents are going to increase uh, geometrically over a long enough time period. While the servicing of that of those loans is pretty much fixed, so I think that's the whole idea here is to create a slight modest inflation so people don't really notice it year to year. But over over a long enough time horizon, when you take a, a long look at it, you see that the dollar's been turned into a cent over a hundred years. The same thing that happened to Rome. Well but if you And that 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 two percent goal, that two percent the goal of two percent stable inflation creates this perversity where people will take on all this debt to buy these leveraged assets, whether it's real estate stocks or Bitcoin, right? Well, I mean, it... That's the perversity of it. It's, it's, if you can keep it there, as Milton Friedman used to say, hardest thing about inflation is the first little bit tastes so good, it's like bringing beer to a party. But then, you <laughs> get the, uh, but I mean, I, I was a, I was a little tyke, but I remember a little bit the 50s and the 60s. And it was, it was economic, Nirvana. I mean, it sure wasn't Nirvana if you had a bad tooth or had any heart problems because the medical stuff wasn't so hot. I mean, all, you didn't necessarily want to be alive that if you had anything wrong with you. But if you didn't, it was an, it was an, an amazing time, uh, Carl. And it, that I'm going to say the inflation was about two, but all this stuff was happening together. You had an awful lot of, uh, 
what, what do you call when you uh, economic uh, where you, you you the stuff you make per hour is worth more and more. You have an increase in uh, what's the term when you, when you can do more and more per per minute of work. Uh, productivity. Yeah, your productivity is screaming up because there's invention after invention. People that are are working are getting an average of raise of you know three four percent a year uh, because they're doing more and better, maybe even five percent. I'm not gonna say five; it's probably three or four. A lot of people could were making a hundred bucks a week, living real relatively comfortably on eighty, and putting twenty in the bank. You had one bread owner and it, it, winner, and it happened to be the male usually, but didn't have to be. So that you had. Uh, you had one of the parents was at home, which stopped a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the absurdity with kids you have now when there's nobody around to watch them. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying having somebody home in a neighborhood made kid watching a little easier. And, uh, and you had an inflation that had to be, you know, like 2%. So if you bought the bungalow at 18,000 in 1958 and five years, it was, you know, Twenty thousand or something like that wasn't well, wasn't off the chart, but it was creeping just a little, and your and your salaries are creeping just a little. It was an ec- economic, uh, pretty much as, as good as it can get, and just part of that was the two percent inflation. But that's like saying if somebody's healthy, they're eating, they're exercising, they're breathing, they're pooping, and then all of a sudden they're dead. If we can just get them pooping again, no, 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 it all has to come together. It's not the two percent inflation wasn't. The whole story, Hal. It was it was everything else. People were working; they were they were becoming more productive, so they were making more. Prices were going up a little bit, not as much as people were making uh, more year over year. It was about as good as it can get for the average person, hence the middle class, right? And now now none of that's working. And the, the Fed zeroing in at the two percent, saying if we can just get this at two percent, what's the difference? None of the other stuff's working, right? Just saying. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see the Fed. I just see the Fed as an instrument of these very powerful interests who try to sell us on this idea that under their stewardship, under their leadership, all can do well. I think what the Fed has shown us in the last 20 years is that they're not for the little guy. The little guy uses low interest rates to uh, buy clothes and gas. Little guy's paying 24%. Maybe on credit or whatnot. But who's really benefiting from this are the people at the the top end because they're getting 500% returns on leverage purchases. They're not going to use cash to purchase an NFL team. They're not going to use cash to purchase Twitter. They're going to use leverage to purchase those assets. And with the, with the Fed's goal of inflation, stable inflation, in the long run, they're going to they're going to make out like bandits using leveraged margin margin debt, and so the Fed is the the tool of the the well to do. Well, but you and it's I it's an illusion for you and I can't average can't, people. You and I can't borrow at rates below inflation, where some people can. Yeah, yeah, there exactly. lies the rub. Bank banks can borrow from the Fed at a negative real rate of interest, lend to a billionaire at a higher. Less negative right. real rate of interest, and the bank does well. Well, the bank makes three percent. The whole idea, hell, you and I actually, the, the new Treasury savings bonds. What are they paying? Like nine percent or something? 
You only, you only buy oh, really? 10, I haven't even checked it. I haven't you, checked you, it. Well, you can That's only buy, crazy. You can only buy like $10,000 of them, though. But, I mean, uh, but, but if you and I... One, what cost you $10,000? Uh, I don't know. I, mean, I just saw it last week. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll get the piece of paper. I should talk about it on the air. Yeah. Hey, uh, what are you doing this week? We only got a couple of minutes. You get, you get, when are you going on vacation? Coaching my kids, coaching my kids basketball teams and maybe refereeing some this week for an AU tournament out here. Hey, good for you. you you're showing them how to stuff? Uh, my, my, my triplet boys, they uh, made their first baskets yesterday when we were practicing. We went over to the rec center. Good for them. So they were excited. Okay, good for them. Let's make sure up 51. Nancy, if you're up 161, y'all have a great week. Talk to you next week. All right, bye. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again.